How many of you know you never know what a day holds? Anybody here ever had something happen and it changed you that day? How many have had that happen? I think we can all identify. But sometimes things cause chain reactions. Uh, since I've seen you last Lord's Day, um, uh, earlier the week, earlier in the week, I think it was, I can't remember, Tuesday perhaps, uh, I received notice that my private information, uh, ID, you call it, had been greatly compromised. A legal document had been taken by someone, and my name, address, phone number, driver's license, social security number, everything about me was gone. And I want to tell you, in the wrong hands, that can mean a big problem today. Anybody ever had that happen yet? Thank God it hasn't. It's weird how, how sometimes Satan does things or lines up things. You, have, you ever, have you ever just said, Lord, wh- wh- why are you letting this happen? I've lived the best I can and we try to be goody two-shoes all we can and everything turns out. How many of you ever thought that? How many of you, come on, be honest with me. And how many have not only thought it, you asked God about, why would you do this or why would you do that? Guess what? Welcome to the human race. I think it's pretty common. But I had this problem, so I had to call all three uh, uh, credit bureaus. I had to call all the banks for me and three or four other, three other, two or three other people I do business for. I had to call all those accounts. I had to make major decisions. I canceled every credit card I had, everything I had to do in business, and within a few hours, I mean, Satan's there to go, you know what's going to happen now? And they're going to get into this and this and this, and somebody's going to steal it all. (laughs) Let me say this. When you don't have much, you don't lose much. (laughs) I'm just kidding. The Lord's blessed me. It doesn't matter what we have. If we lose it, it might be on our part, but surely not on the part of a thief. God forgive and God help this wretched soul because I'm praying against you wherever and whoever you are. Not in this audience, I'm telling you. Matter of fact, it was out of state. (laughs) Just so you know. (laughs) What was amazing was I didn't think about it. The very next day, I came to my office. I sat down. I got an email, and it said... Pay this Pike Pass now. Your credit card has been taken. It won't charge. The very next day, the Pike Pass. I didn't think anything about it, just going around my normal thing. I went to the restaurant. I got to the restaurant. I I, I don't have a credit card. I've got a meal coming, and I can't even pay for it. And I don't know anybody in the place. How many of you wish you were there? That's what I thought. <laughs> I, 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 I had to kind of work my way through that, and then I, I decided on the way back to the office, my car was dirty. I went into the car wash. I paid this thing online or on, on a credit card. I drove up. There's five or six cars behind me. I get in there, and it says, your agreement has expired. Renew it with your credit card. And I don't have a credit card. What am I going to do? There's six people behind me. I, I am sitting here. 
How many of you know you feel extremely self-conscious? I got out of the car. I went back to the pickup behind me and those behind it, and I said, please forgive me. I, I, I don't have my credit card. It said I, I tried to explain it, and they're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So out of kindness, they all backed up, and I backed up and had to clear the whole line and backed up all the way out. A little embarrassing. So, gentlemen, if you will, we're going to receive an offering from me this morning. I mean, <laughs> I know of no one more needy right now. There is no plastic. <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't know what I've done with my checkbook. I've just, so if you want to invite me out for lunch, I'm available. <laughs> Something I'm <laughs> I just. There's purpose in all things. I haven't found it yet, but I'm looking for it on the good side. I hope you had a good 4th of July. I love this country, don't you? I thank God for it. What a, what a great place to live. I know there's some people got wrong ideas, and I know there's evil hearts everywhere, and I get aggravated and really upset for people who put us down and try to, try to do destruction and recourse to our flag and I just go you know what if you don't like it get out I just don't understand why you want to stay and uh, if you're on the wrong side of it you need to read your history and find out what we've really been about the United States have had enough military power and might that if we wanted to for generations we could dominate the world our hearts never been to dominate the world it's always to be the person in the, the nation that if somebody's being blown apart or poisoned gas by the masses, by despots and dictators. We've always gone to try to help those who cannot defend themselves. And even when we go defend them and we have to bomb something to do that, we're the only nation in history that when we get through destroying the problem, we go rebuild what we bomb. Ladies and gentlemen, I love this country and I still think we're the best thing afloat on planet Earth. Thank God for America. I bless it in my heart. But I kind of use that as an introduction to say this. <clears throat> with Revelation chapter 2, I want you to think with me today. And I want to talk about something that's important. Looking at our world today and looking at our nation, I look at these new babies and I wonder what their lives are going to be like if the Lord tarries. I look at my own children and my own grandchildren and I will be frankly, and if I look some way after I hear the news and I watch it very long, I almost think, God, I am the age I am because I don't know what's coming 20 years from now if the Lord tarries or 30 or 50. I will tell you this, God always have, has a remnant and God will protect his remnant. Thank God that he has promised the church will succeed. Amen? So stay with the church. There aren't any... Perfect. There aren't any perfect pastors. There's no perfect churches. There's no perfect any organization on earth because it has humanity in it. But the church was ordained by Christ and he made a promise that if you'll stay with the church, that, it, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Stay with the church, God's people. So with that in mind, I wanted to say, well, what would the Lord say to us today? I want to talk to you this morning about the subject of 
what the Lord would say to the church. When I mean that, I mean to the church of all the ages, but especially today. How many of you want to know what the Lord's saying to the church today? I want the up-to-date word of the Lord. So Revelation chapter 2, I'm just going to read a portion of a verse, verse 7. John writing the revelation of Christ says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That one little phrase says much. I do not believe that God speaks arbitrarily, nor does He speak in generalities. I believe God is a God that says what He means, and He means what He says. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His Word is established. It will not be changed, whether we like it or not, whether we agree with God and His ideas and His, what He means or not. It does not change, for God is holy. And ladies and gentlemen, He changes not. Can you say amen? And if God chooses to say something more than once, there must be something about it that's important. I have, since I've been about 12 or so years old, a young teenager, I've gone through many Bibles. I have probably 25, 30 Bibles. I have marked every one of them with a conscious effort to mark anything that God has said twice or more. Because when God repeats Himself, He does it for a reason. Because that means He places emphasis upon it. For an example, we won't turn there, but Psalm 136, the Spirit of God anoints the writer and the Spirit writes 26 times and it makes statements and every time at the end of the verse it says this, His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Say it with me. His mercy endures. Say it so I can hear you. 26 times the Spirit of God placed that in holy writ for my benefit and for your benefit. Here's the point. If you read that with impatience and no appreciation, then it's going to be a, an element in your life that you're going to wish you had paid attention to. Because when you come to the place time and again in life when you really need mercy because you've blown it or you've made a mistake, and we all do, when you come to that place, you will rejoice. And at that time, you will be thankful. And at that time, you will be humbled. And at that time, you will praise God that His mercy endures forever because you need it right then. God wants us to know that in the midst of failure, we are welcome at the mercy seat of the Christ. I didn't hear that amen. How many were glad for his mercy? Thank God for his word. In receiving the revelation of Christ, the Spirit of God directed John, the revelator, the revelation of Christ to John who wrote it. He, he, he asked him to write to the churches. And here's another occasion. Seven times he says... He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. It is not talking about a physical set of ears, though that perhaps is possible. He's talking about your spirit 
twice-born men and women in the church that know the Spirit of God, you hear what that Spirit speaks to your inmost being. Be sensitive to what the Spirit says to your soul and your spirit. In Revelation 2 and 7, he said it. And in 2 and 11 and 2.17 and 2.29 and chapter 3 verse 6 and chapter 3 verse 13 and chapter 3 verse 22. Seven times God tells us to listen because he's speaking to the church. And by the way, we are a church corporate, but we individuals make up we are the church. So God speaks to the church. Corporately and as individuals. God has always spoken through His Word. And He speaks through His Word today. I believe the Spirit has something to say for this generation. And assuredly, if He is, He is saying things that are important. To the church today, I believe there is a stirring in the life of God's churches. And the Spirit is speaking again in what I believe to be the final hours. How many of you know that the Lord could come at any time and the church age would be finished? There are those who are questioning that today. I just want to tell you that Jesus himself said, You do not know the day or the hour that I'm coming, but be ready. And that's our instruction. Through the tumult of internal controversy, in the clash and clang of modern materialism, through the tangled complexity of our ecclesiastical debates, through all the uproar of evil and crime in our world, through problems and bewilderments and issues like having to cancel all your credit cards and all that, all about our life and all the things that hit our hearts. I want you to know there is a deeper note that beats in the heart of the twice-born man and woman or young person. It is the Holy Spirit crying out to those of us who have the ability to hear the Spirit. And let me tell you, you don't have to be 80 or 90. Let me tell you, you can be a child. If we could go all the way back to Samuel when he called him, he was only five years old and that young man heard the voice of God. So don't despise the youth. Seven times to the churches of Asia he wrote these very words. Not because there was only seven churches, there were many churches there, many more. He didn't write it seven times because they lay geographically in a circle. He didn't write it just because these happened to be cities in the sense of being arbitrary. But seven is symbolical. Seven is God's number of perfection. Seven is the number of God's completion. When God says this seven times, he denotes this is finished, it is complete. So in writing, he writes to all the churches. He writes to the universal church, to congregations throughout the world. And he writes through these churches that he said, this is the church state that it will be when I return. That is the point of the Spirit. So he's writing not only then, but prophetically to us. I want to hear, I want to know what God is saying. Now, if you study, you'll find that each one of these letters, the seven to the seven churches, each one has a distinctive word or a note. It has an operative word or instruction or a vital 
challenging phrase, if you will. I wish I had time to do all seven. I do not. Time will permit me only to mention two. So I want to read in chapter two, I want to read about the church of Ephesus. Follow me at Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Ladies and gentlemen, I challenge you. Can we say today we are laboring for the God and not weary? Nevertheless, verse 4, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The message is this. Remember and repent or you will lose your testimony and it will be of naught. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are responsible Here's the action words. Here's the phrase for the church of Ephesus in its last day. The state of the church in the last day. He says, remember and repent. You have left your first love. I want us to look at this New Testament that we're in today. You and I are in the New Testament age since the coming of Christ. I want to see that it is the church This church that you and I are a part of, the New Testament church, it has four mighty historical acts that makes us the New New Testament church. We are the church of the incarnation of Christ. We are the church of the cross of Christ. We are the church of the resurrection of Christ. And we are the church of the New Testament Pentecost. Those four major historical facts, ladies and gentlemen, are the church of which you and I belong. Beyond our denomination, I'm talking about this church that belongs to Christ on this planet. My question to us and my concern as the Spirit speaks to us today is this. Can we measure up to any of these historical facts without repentance? First of all, the church of the incarnation. Here's what I mean. The Word of God declares that it was made flesh and came and dwelt among us. Meaning when it came here, He was never aloof in superior holiness as a claim to be better than humanity. Even though He was God, He left that splendor and came to be clay and dwelt among us. And in this miry clay, he dwelt in humility for the love of humanity. All the outcasts were at home with him. He called harlots his friend. He identified with human need. 
at every level being the lowest or the most high reigning leadership. That's how he was. I ask us the question, are we like that? Or let me state, we are hardly like that as a church, are we? Our often spiritual pieties, our ecclesiastical self-segregations, our rationalized busyness, our design, they're all designed to camouflage our spiritual pride. Church of the Incarnation says the Spirit, remember and repent. Ladies and gentlemen, there's very little genuine humility in the church across the world today. We hear of how important we are and what we've become. And I take nothing from any of that. But let me tell you, this book and this life is not about us. It's about that incarnated Son of God. I listened last night for, about, for an hour. Some people on, on television I'd never heard of don't know their names, but it frustrated me. And I don't say this to be critical, but I heard about their lives. I heard about their education. I've heard about all their tricks and all their, their, their positions and all that they've done and the books they've written and all that. And that's all good and fine. But they spent an hour saying, look at our education, look at our positions, buy our books. And it's a religious program. And my mind was saying, I know all about you, but where is the Christ of it all? And I get weary of not hearing the Christ. We are the church of the incarnation. And I'm telling you, there is a doctrine of reincarnation that is resurging all over this planet. Ladies and gentlemen, let me be clear about the scripture. It is appointed unto man once to die. After that comes a judgment. Don't you buy reincarnation, young people. Don't you dare do it. Don't you do it. All that we're trying to do is human efforts to try to say, if we blow it this time, we want second chance, third chance, tenth chance. And let me tell you, if we can't do it as the supreme creation of God, being humanity made in the image of God, pray tell me what chance do we have when we're a gnat or a frog? Just to be simplistic. And maybe no, that's true. We're the church of the incarnation. Secondly, we're the church of the cross. Notice that he didn't say the church of stained glass windows, though I think they're beautiful and they have their place. He didn't say the, the church of the shiny gold cross. He didn't say the church of the prettiest, biggest building in town, though I think it should be. But the cross, the cross, we're the church of the cross, which for Jesus meant Total humiliation. Stark pain. Absolute debasement. Where self was totally blotted out. This cross was rough. It was a hewn tree. It was rugged. He was nailed with steel on it. 
He was crowned with thorns. He was beaten and bloody and bludgeoned to death. It was the cross. In humility and brokenness. I have to ask us the question, church, of 2019. Are we like that today? I fear the church is infected with secular values. Let me ask some pointed questions. What really constitutes prosperity? What really constitutes success? What is genuinely important? Is it that which is temporal or that which is eternal? What are the values? What are our values as a church, as individuals? When we're the New Testament church and individuals of the cross. And I want to declare to you something today. We will let him be bludgeoned and beaten and crowned. And we will let him be be scorned. We will give him vinegar to drink. We will pluck his beard. We will drive and steal in him. And we will let him die and turn around and say, I accept your blood. And then we will lie and cheat and steal and fornicate and adulter and be wicked and evil and say, God, by your grace, I want none of that, but I sure thank you for doing it for me. Let me be clear. We are not called to grace as a license to sin because if you do those things, you have lost your first love, your testimony's gone, and you're going to stand in judgment of God. Ladies and gentlemen, when we're twice born, our changed nature is there, and let's Quit kidding ourselves. Grace is not a license to sin. And if we're involved in it, God's going to judge it. We're saying, we're going to let you bleed. We're going to let you die. We're going to let you go through all that. And we're going to walk right over the top of it and live any way we want to. Because after all, you're a merciful God. And I know this is straight and I know it's forthright and I know it's on Facebook. But I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, grace came through the cross. Grace came through the cross. And listen, it's only as you and I go to that same cross and we do the same death he did. Thank God not physically. Thank God not in that realm. But we die to ourselves, and we die to humility and we learn to live for him. And in him we learn to live for everybody else other than ourselves. Remember and repent is the words. We are not here to find through the blood of Christ the easy way out so we can do anything we want any way we please. And the old, the old archaic preacher can just be the fool for saying so. Heavy, heavy hangs over our head because we know the truth and we obey it not. Whoop! Glory. What's he saying to The New Testament church. We're the New Testament. The incarnation. The cross. We are thirdly. Listen to this. We're the church of the resurrection. We are the church of the gladdest tidings earth has ever heard. 
We are the church of the best news that has ever startled the human ear. The word resurrection is the most powerful word on this planet. We are the church of the best news, ladies and gentlemen. The church that once have come out of Christ in the New Testament in our time in Scripture. They went singing through the world and they went shouting through martyrdom. He is risen and they were glad to give their lives to say hallelujah. It's worth it because He is God and resurrection I believe in. I have to ask us the question, are we like that? Or have we become deadly sedated, woefully submerged in our dull, tedious routines. Church of the resurrection, remember and repent. And Paul said, rejoice always. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. The New Testament church of Jesus Christ should be the happiest, most joyous place in town. I don't mean we all show off and get ridiculous, but what I mean is this. This should be the most life place. No pastor, no in in any pulpit, anywhere, not just in Christ's legacy. But I want to tell you, it is sad when when we got the mindset and this world comes in and we say, put your hands together, let's clap. Let's lift our hands before the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. And you have to keep on and on and on and on to get people into an atmosphere of worship and praise. We ought to come because we're the church. Church of the resurrection, and we're the happiest people on earth. It's pathetic that that the, the, the worship leader has to try to excite us for the resurrection. It's the only means by which we're ever going to live again. Hallelujah! <laughs> wow, are we like that? Are we like that? I'm not talking about Christ's legacy. I am, but I'm talking about the church in America. Well, Pastor, I don't want to be fanatical. I, 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 just, I will tell you, I don't think anybody should do anything in church for vainglory or self-glory, but as a congregation, we ought to do that for the glory of our Christ. And I think we worship publicly different than we worship individually. But I will tell you this. We ought to come to his house and obey him. We ought to lift our voice and raise our hands and glorify God in one. Ladies and gentlemen, because we are resurrection people. Amen. We ought to come to church and be alive. Because all the world, when they die, they're dead. And they're going to be resurrected to a great white throne. And if they don't know God... They're not going to live in heaven. You and I in the resurrection where we know that our names are recorded in the last book of life. And we get and we and I go, say amen. Let, listen, let me tell you. Let me just stop and tell you. This is just for us, okay? I, I, I don't hear you say amen. So I say say amen because I want us to be alive. I think we ought to be exciting people. Don't you? You see, I'm sacrificing myself on Facebook. No. (laughs) Don't you? Don't you think we ought to be alive? Don't you think we ought to be excited people? So here's the deal. 
I, 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 hear, I, I don't hear amen. And I hear people say, I said amen, I said amen. And back there they're saying, they're saying amen everywhere. Well, then say it where Jesus can hear it. Or, you're, or, or somebody in the next state. Amen? Well, see, that was a lot better. At least I could hear it. <laughs> All I'm saying is, you never know who walks in this building every Sunday with needs and loaded up with the world. You never know what tragedy is happening and what Satan's doing in their lives. They may have had to cancel all their credit cards. They may have heard the worst news they can hear. They may need a place for hope. They may need a place for life. They may need a place where somebody put an arm around their shoulder and weep with them. They may need a place where they can have new babies and rejoice with them. But they need a place of life for that. Let's be a place that's alive. Uh, let's be a place that's alive. Wow. Church of the Resurrection. Fourthly, the Church of Pentecost. Listen to this. The Church of Pentecost, it's a historical fact in the New Testament. Want to get on some toes here, but not... Probably more theological. The church of Pentecost, where men heard the rushing mighty wind. Where men saw the fire of God descending. Where men spoke with new tongues of men and of angels. Because Paul wrote to the Corinthians, though I speak with tongue of men and angels, don't just limit it to 16 at the time of Pentecost. Because there were time and time and time again through the New Testament where others spoke in other languages also. This were where men all were in one accord and in one place and together under the Spirit of God anointed to go forth and do something for the kingdom kingdom where we, they were commissioned and sent out to preach and reconcile the nations to society and all the broken lives of humanity. Ladies and gentlemen, not only Christ's legacy but every church in this world. Are we like that? Yes or no? Is there that drive in us with life to say, I love a lost soul enough to try to do something about? How can we preach it when we are so notoriously divided among ourselves? Oh, believe me, I, I, I'm, I'm well aware. I know. I know difficulties are real. I know the formidable foe is genuine. I've heard the phone calls. I've had them. I've had them for my own family. We, we've been in places. The rock and the hard place, proverbially. I know the task is sometimes enormous. I, I, I will tell you, I'm going to put it like this. Many times Satan's knocked the breath out of me. But listen, if we really believe the facts the facts of our faith, the incarnation, the cross, the resurrection, the Pentecost, we will allow. Will, will these four facts not outweigh everything that comes our way? 
So let Satan come and let him take every shot he can. Ladies and gentlemen, we're the people of the birth of Christ, the cross of Christ, the resurrection, and the Pentecost with its power. Come on, old slutty face, old smutty face. Come out, let's go a few rounds because we are made more than conquerors, not for our pride, but out of his power because he has defeated the devil. He has. I've learned something, though. There's stubbornness in sin. There's stubbornness in sin. But I also believe that the power of Pentecost is greater than the power of sin. Church of Pentecost, remember and repent. Greater is he that's in you than he that is where? In this world. Matter of fact, I'm going to read that. Watch this. Go to the second one, the Church of Philadelphia. I'm going to read in chapter 3 now. Verse 7 and 8. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the keys of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. Keep your mind on that word, an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength left, kept, you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Wow. And that word, that phrase is this, I have set before you an open door. That is in reference to the fact that God has given us a commission that we cannot deny. You know what the word is for the church of Philadelphia? The word was repent, For Ephesus, the word for Philadelphia is evangelize. You have little strength. I've set before you this open door. Go be my witnesses. No man can shut it. God is saying, get out there and do something about your generation. Philadelphia was geographically located at the opening of a valley and at a port. It was the point by which great trade routes from the Western Sea would come to the Orient. It had special placement and special privilege. Philadelphia was called the keeper of the gateway in its location. And the Spirit says, I've put Christ's legacy here on this corner for a reason, for a place. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an awesome piece of geography here. Amen? So the Spirit says... Go sit in a cozy Christian circle. Get a group of like-minded people and just stay there. Insulate yourself from the swarming life of the secular world. The Spirit says to the church, stay away from the bewilderments of technological advances. Whatever you do, don't change. That was my interpretation. Do not challenge the resurgence of pagan doctrines in your schools, in your colleges, in your universities, in your society. Just become a walled garden, a little spot encircled by grace. Know 
No, 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 10,000 times no. The word is, I put an open door. You go evangelize, go evangelize. Students on your campus, don't be afraid to talk about the Christ. Students in universities, don't let them take Christ out of your heart. Mom and dad at work, in restaurants, wherever you are, take Jesus because he says, I send you to evangelize and to lead this world. By a mighty force, we are infiltrated with the strongholds of Satan that we might destroy him. Let me say that again. By the power of God, we're to infiltrate the strongholds of Satan. Don't be afraid of the devil. I want to read verse 9. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lied. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. God is saying that you, I will give you power to destroy what Satan tries to do and they cannot deny it. Because I will see that you have that power. Do you know some strongholds that need to be destroyed somewhere in somebody's life? Maybe even in your family? God says evangelize. Do you know what evangelism is? Here's my rendition. Evangelism is a fellowship of reconciled and forgiven sinners now called saints. Feeling a personal responsibility with compassion and concern to make real to all men Everywhere, the reconciliation and forgiveness of God. I've just given you the assignment for the rest of your life. A man by the name of William Temple declared this. Listen, years and years ago, he declared this, quote, The church exists primarily for those who never go near it. End quote. I want to say that again. The church exists primarily for those who never go near it. The Spirit says to the last day church, repent, repent, do your first works. Be the New Testament church. It says to the church of Philadelphia, it says evangelize, evangelize, evangelize. I've got one other thought and I'll be through. I won't take time to turn to it, but if I went to the book of Hebrews, you'll find these thoughts. The Hebrews gives us in symbolism the death of Christ, and he says in symbolism, Jesus is dying, and they use, the writer uses the words outside the camp. He's talking about outside of the Jewish realm. He's talking about in this world that is lost. He's dying outside the camp outside the religious realm. And he asks and answers. And he says this, we should feel, twice born men and women, we should feel an irresistible constraint to go forth to him and for him outside the camp, bearing his reproach Church of Philadelphia, repent and evangelize. 
So I'm going to ask you this question all over this congregation and all over this nation. How many people have you brought to the Lord this year? How many people have you brought to church this year? How many souls have you won to the Lord this year? How are you encouraging the kingdom of God to grow? How many firebrands out of the fire, people that are headed to the darkness of an eternal hell, how many students have, have you pulled out of the fire? Mom and Dad, how many firebrands have you pulled out? Grandparents, how many firebrands have you pulled out? People are dying and going to hell every day. We must be about repenting, having a relationship with God, be the New Testament church, and we must evangelize. Evangelize. I have to hit us hard. How many, how long has it been since you invited 10, 20 people to church? How many of you say, I'll be by and, and, and I'll take you to church? I'm coming. I want you to go to church with me. Truth is, we get in our routines. We get in our routines. As pastor today for 2019, here's the message. I call us as a church across America, but primarily Christ's legacy. I call us to hear what the Spirit says to the church. Get outside these walls and make a difference get outside these walls this week tomorrow between now and next Lord's Day and make a difference in somebody's life not next month not next week not next year after you get married after you get a job after you get an education after you get a new house after you get now now he calls us to evangelize now. This is never a real popular message. Ladies and gentlemen, look at just the United States of America. How many of you will witness with me if we look around this country, we're a needy people. How many of you know America needs God again? Raise your hand, please. How many of you know America needs God again? America needs God. It's up to me. And at the expense of sounding like an old fogey this morning, church, we've got to do something. We have to do something outside these walls. And it's not just pastor and the staff's job, it's your job. Because sheep beget sheep. And I can't say it enough times. So I want to say this. I want you to bring somebody to church next week. I want you to bring somebody to church next week. You have influence somewhere. You have influence in someone's life. Ladies and gentlemen, repent. Wake up. We have to be the New Testament church. And we have to be about the Lord's work. And if we do that, how many of you would like to have two services here that are packed out? How many would you like to have two packed out, three packed out services here? We can do that. It's our calling. It's our calling. But we have to get out of our routines. And I'm asking today to get out of your routine. Not for my sake. For the sake 
standing before the Lord and giving an account for what God said to the churches and we are the church today. We've all got a job to do. Amen.